2: Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world famous two-time chips and feel the power! It's a new game, yes it is!
0: For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all.
1: Welcome back everyone to 12 pack radio your podcast source for pack 12 football news your source for pack 12 gambling advice with william hills max meyer and the home of the beta rank college football statistical model i hope everybody is safe and healthy hopefully this podcast provides um, a, a little bit of a break from all that's going on uh, we still wanted to make sure to go through pack 12 football we are continuing our series of pack 12 superlatives with the coaching staffs of each team if you didn't listen to our last podcast we talked about the coaches at the most to lose and the least amount to lose and we took a real deep dive, that, and I really enjoyed that conversation, into USC's just monster, monster hires, Uh, just the hiring spree that Clay Helton has gone on uh, within the last couple months that has really been shadowed by, I mean, uh, even before COVID broke out, there's just so much going on. That I think some of those stories were a little bit under the radar. Um, in any case, go ahead and, and take a peek and listen to that. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, again, Twelve Fact Radio. And you can follow us on Twitter at one two p a c radio. I'm joined as always by Mr. Max Meyer. What's going on, Max?
0: Uh, not much. Just um, I guess uh, uh, definitely a lot uh, um, a lot going on in the country and just living here in, in New York city and, and it's, it's crazy times. And yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm across the river from Portland. So I haven't seen too much yet on this side, but, um, again, I just hope everybody is is safe out there. And, um, hopefully again, hopefully this provides a little bit of a distraction. Uh, Rob, uh, you're out in Columbus, right? How, how are you doing over there? Uh,
2: Columbus is, is interesting. I mean, like any large city, it's got, it's got some upheaval at the moment. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I've, uh, I've actually been uh, like way diving, as Brian can attest from some of the texting back and forth. I've been diving like way into trying to improve and work on the videos we've been doing with Sharp College Football. Um, yeah, so gotta keep an eye on that space because like we should be making some changes soon.
1: Yeah, Rob's been on a tear going through not just the Pac-12 teams, but uh, every Power 5 conference. Are you even doing the group of five conferences? I've only seen Power 5 so far.
2: I really only picked this up because, so I was, we were halfway, roughly halfway through or so, the teams when you started, you know, like we started doing the the Periscope videos. Um, And people responded really well to them. So um, I just started doing, trying to do, because I'm previewing one team a day on Sharp College Football. You know, counting down to the start of the season, and so I just started doing about it, you know, eight, nine, you know, minute, you know, preview video for um, every team. Now, because we are in, (laughs) because we are into, we're mostly through the uh, the pre the, the the halfway through the pre the preview of the projections. I mean, we're at the point where, you know, most of the teams are going to be power five uh, teams at this point. But, I mean, Boise State is still upcoming. Like, we'll do some group of five teams. I did BYU. I did Wyoming because I'm from Wyoming. And, you know, I follow them.
1: But. <laughs> uh, we should talk about how wild it was that Jack Sears went from USC to uh, Boise That's State. An odd where there's, yeah, there's like two dudes ahead of him that are quite good at quarterback, but uh, that was pretty interesting. And some of the format on the videos, by the way, and you can follow them either on YouTube, uh, our YouTube page. We have a Sharp College Football page up there now, or you can follow Rob at Sharp College Football or myself at Twelve Pack Radio. I ask Rob a question, Rob answers the question, and then provides some more in-depth analysis using advanced statistics from BetaRank. Rank. Um, but again, he's also going through all the power, uh, basically like the Power Five conferences and teams one by one on his his end too so uh, a lot of stuff to track and let's get into the pac 12 coaching superlatives again last week we did coaches with most to lose and less and the coaches with the least amount to lose and, and most to gain this week i want to go into the coaches most likely to leave the pac 12 and i'm going to l- let's put an asterisk on this and say um uh, most likely to leave the pack 12 on their own de- like you know with their own decision to to do so <laughs> rather than being fired um so, Max, through this out to, to you guys, uh, curious, who, who are some names that you think um, would be the most likely to jump from the Pac-12 to uh, either a better job or a job elsewhere in the coming after, – after this season?
0: So, for me, I think – and I already I already used this coach as an answer for another one, but I, I think it's, it's Justin Wilcox, um, just because if Cal – has another good year, which is like, uh, I would say like seven, eight wins, which I I think is doable. Um, I I think that Wilcox could definitely be a sought after coach uh, for one of, uh, another power five uh, team. And I mean, you see Berkeley's financials are (laughs) pretty dire. And so I, I I just think him jumping over to an athletic department that's more financially stable uh, would be a smart move. And yeah, I, I just think that we've seen Pac-12 coaches get picked off by um, other uh, power conferences, and I, I I don't think I don't think that Wilcox will be as loyal uh, to Cal as some of the other names that I think uh, yeah. that are coaching the Pac-12.
1: Yeah, I mean he has the track record: uh, Wisconsin, USC, he's as a head coach now at Cal he has been able to just really study that program. Like you mentioned, the financials at Cal are kind of a mess. And he's run into some recruiting issues there and just being able to uh, retain and and really recruit high-level talent with the academic standards there, uh, which are quite high at Cal. It's one of the best public universities in the country, period. Um, And, man, I I was surprised that he didn't say yes to, and I don't know if he was even offered by Michigan State, uh, but it seemed like he would have been a safer choice to throw a dump truck of money at than Mel Tucker. Rob, uh, what do you think about... Justin Wilcox's, uh, you know, situation in terms of jumping. And then after that, can you throw out another name for us to talk about?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at Wilcox, he's definitely he's, – I mean, across the Pac-Toll, he's the guy that you would look and say, yeah, that he's most likely to jump. He's had a – I mean, all coaches have fairly itinerant careers, but Wilcox has been in a lot of places. He's, he's fairly well-known in a lot of big programs too um, and across college football. I think that, um, you know, with Wilcox, it would – he if if he has another good year somebody could come knocking and i mean people forget I mean, part of what you know the, led to the breakup with sonny dykes and cal was that dykes really got fed up with the financial situation and all of the the pressures that he was having to face at cal and he felt like he had a lack of support both from the athletic department in general and main campus and so he was often you know he was out shopping for jobs. <laughs> he was, I mean, he was, he, he and, he and Rich Rod never, never turned down an interview while they were at their jobs in the Pac 12. He literally wore um, like
1: a hello, my name is Sunny Dyke sticker on yeah. the right side of his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it was his,
2: <laughs> it was not, it was not one of the ones where like he waited for people uh, to find him on LinkedIn. Like he, <laughs> he was out. Um, I, I, I think for Wilcox, it would be, but I mean, if you're Wilcox, it's, it would be interesting because uh, you would say like, it's not, you would think off the top of your head, like, Oh, he's not going to go for just any job, but I don't know. I mean, I think Wilcox, if he, if, if that Michigan state job had perhaps opened at a different time than it did, you might have seen Wilcox, you know, more in the mix there, um, you know, than you did. I mean, Wilcox is definitely, and I think the Cal financials are are still in a place where um, potentially that, you know, they, they could, They could get poached, and it might not even be a a really big-name program that swung in to get him. I mean, they could have, like, you know, a a fairly comparable, you would think, in the pecking order of the Big Ten-type program, swing in with big money and grab him. But, I mean, if you're Wilcox, he's not – he certainly hasn't been successful enough that you would expect, like, he's going to get poached by, like, an SEC school or something along those lines. Oh, and another name. I would say it's actually – Mario Cristobal
1: oh okay I'm glad you threw him out here I I want to go into that yeah go ahead
2: but I would say with Cristobal I think that the it is it Cristobal is likely only going to an SEC job (laughs) um and it would be I think it would be Florida or if Nick Saban retires at Alabama um although I mean like people also throw out I mean uh you know Auburn is I mean, Auburn's a, Auburn's definitely a school that Malzahn sort of, you know, constantly on the hot seat. Um, it's a good, it's a really good job. I mean, it's, it's one of the ones that like, I mean, if that one sort of opened up, um, you could maybe see that, but I, I mean, I would think if, if Florida were to open up, um, with Cristobal's ties there, if Alabama were to open up, um, he would, he would be in the mix for those jobs, given his ties, uh, in that area. And I, um, I don't know that even with, you know, the Phil Knight dollars that um, that they're going to be able to keep him away, because I do think that he's he's he has found even as people talk about Oregon's recruiting success. Um, Oregon's not recruiting like Alabama. <laughs> um, they're just not they're not the same, like they're not recruiting like Ohio State. Um, and so that 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 level uh, that might be required to really compete for national championships, if he wants to get there, he, he might have to go.
1: You mentioned Auburn. They they strike me as the sunny dikes of the South. You know, just always looking for the next head coach. You know, kind of having their eye over it, some over somebody else's shoulders as they're looking around the room. Uh, Max Mario Cristobal certainly has made a splash already, and um, has a lot of ties to the South. What did you think about that when Rob threw his name out?
0: I mean, they they really. I mean, Eugene really really loves Cristobal, but I just. I think Oregon is an excellent program, but I think that's not crystal balls end game because like Rob was saying, like he has ties to the South and the sec is obviously a much bigger conference than the PAC 12 and Oregon does. I mean, they can pay crystal ball probably more than any other PAC 12 program. I mean, maybe USC, um, but I still think that sec, I mean, he's looking at the contracts that like Texas AM and gave Jimbo Fisher um, what saving gets paid at Alabama. Uh, I mean, uh, these SEC schools can really just throw out top dollar. And I think it would be difficult for Oregon to match if if uh, Auburn or a Florida were to go out a- and set their sights on crystal Ball.
1: The one thing, though, with Oregon, and, and this would be the argument for him to stay there, would be, man, it, it almost reminds me of like Sean Miller at Arizona in Pac-12 basketball, right? Like UCLA has been down for a long time. Um, Dana Altman has raised that program up but for the most part like there's not a ton of competition out in the west it's Gonzaga Arizona and Oregon and nobody's <laughs> nobody's doing what they need to do to get those players in like Sean Miller and a couple other coaches um, and that kind of seems like it's the case with Pac-12 football and with Oregon you have a premier program uh, with a lot of money and even though they're not recruiting at the Alabama level they're certainly in the top 10 and just and just crushing the rest of the Pac-12. I mean, USC has jumped up again this year, but in term I mean, it, like Oregon is just far and away the best recruiting program right now. And I don't see that stopping. He has the budget to retain his staff. And I think that the pressure is a lot less on him than it would be if he was at Florida or, and certainly if he was at Auburn, um, he slips up in the Pac-12 a year and I think it's not that big of a deal. He slips up for Auburn and people are calling for his head. I I know. Do you do you see that being a scenario and being a positive, Rob, in terms of him staying in Eugene?
2: I mean, coach. I mean, you have to be very competitive at this level because the the job is just a grind, right? Like you have to really want it. And I think that, you know, Chris Ball, you know, he's he's probably wired to do that. I mean, he's, he's he's he strikes me as a guy that, um, you know, he's definitely got his eye on, you know, a bigger job down the road. Um. But that job, I mean, he's not—he's no dummy. I mean, it's not just going to be any job. Um, you know, you're not going to see. I mean, this is like when Roy Williams left Kansas to go to North Carolina type thing. Like He's not—he's not just going anywhere. Um, no matter what the money is. I mean, I don't even think he would take. I mean, he's not—he's not even going to be like Jimbo Fisher and just take, you know, just dump truck loads of Texas A&M money <laughs> um, just to go run the Aggies. You know, like he's—he's he's gonna pick, like. Uh, the the thing I, I think with it, though, is that if you look across it, it's, um, you know, Saban is, you know, Saban is super competitive. You know, I think if Saban maybe wins one more title, he might call it a day, though. I mean, he is he's getting he's inching closer to 70, I, I believe. Um, I think Dan Mullen's been fairly successful at Florida, but, uh, you know, I don't I, I think that job. If he's not able to get them to at least winning an SEC championship and, you know, getting past Georgia in the next couple of years, Mullen might even find himself on the hot seat. Like nine wins is not going to you know keep your job in Gainesville. Yeah. And I I mean, the, the, but those are really the only I mean, and like I said, like maybe Auburn, because they would throw just to put, you know, in a, a, a completely crazy amount of money at him. And and I think he knows he could probably win at Auburn, and maybe he would look at it and say like maybe Nick Saban's not going to be there forever. You know, I could really cash in on you know whomever his successor would be potentially. But I mean, the the tough thing is is if you look beyond those two, there's 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 not a there's not a single coach in the Pac-12 that you look at and you're like, oh yeah, that guy get poached, right? Like,
1: well, <laughs> I, I would I would throw in Jonathan I mean, there's Smith, some guys right?
2: That, there's Jonathan Smith, right, but I mean, I say with Jonathan Smith, like, he's maybe got another year to still prove it, but I think Smith is a guy that, like, three or four years down the road is likely going to have somebody knocking down his door with big money to come run, a, you know, a program. I think he's he's an alum, he likes
0: Corvallis, you know, he might hang out a little longer than we expect.
1: What do you think about Smith, Max?
0: Um, I think it's going to be really tough for him this year because I'm very down on Oregon State with all that they lost. But if we're, I mean, based on another superlative category, coach uh, most likely to overachieve with their talent. If that's for any given season versus this upcoming season, then Smith would be number one on my list. Yeah.
1: Well, let's move into the offensive coordinators. Offensive coordinator. Um, I had two names on my end. I had Graham Harrell and Brian Lindgren, uh, who's the offensive coordinator at Oregon State, whom I thought might get picked off by somebody. I know that Jonathan Smith is the mastermind, but uh, Lindgren has a long track record. Um, I mean, he's been OC at ten to, like five different schools for like a, a fairly prolonged period of time at most of them. So it's not just like he's bouncing around. Um, but Rob, who do you have on your list as offensive coordinators that could make the jump next year? I mean, Harrell's
2: definitely there. I mean, he's he's probably the biggest name. If he puts together another big year, he's he's going to get snapped up for a job for sure. Um, and, he, and he'll likely take. I mean, if it's a big enough job, he's likely going to take it. I think. Why am I spacing out his name? Defensive coordinator at Oregon, Andy Avalos. I think Avalos after this year is is going to be a name that people look at um, for sure. Uh, that it, you know, and and I, I think Moorhead's going to need at least two years of solid performance, you know, to sort of build back up, Um, at least to go get a head coaching job. If Moorhead has a great year again this year, then he might be up for an OC job somewhere. um, If something opened up somewhere like Georgia or something along those lines. Um, But I mean, it's interesting because like the, the guy that's probably the most competent at his job, I don't think is willing. I mean, like with the longest track record in the Pac-12 well, was Kwiatowski at, at uh, Washington. And I don't think he's going, I don't think he wants to be a <laughs> head coach. Um, but that's, I'm trying to think. I mean, maybe Zach Hill, if like the Boise State job, where, you know, if Parson were to go take somewhere else, maybe he would go back to Boise. Um,
1: I don't know. There. It feels like he, and I agree with you on Moorhead. I think Moorhead, if he wants another head coaching job, he needs two years at Oregon yeah. uh to get that get, like to get a good gig which is what I think he's looking for rather than like a Texas Tech or you know one of the lower uh you know power five schools the the, the issue with Zach Hill I think I mean man if somebody wants to take a flyer on him after a year at ASU God bless him <laughs> but uh, I, yeah. ju- I just think that on the offensive side the only two I really had was uh again like Graham Harrell and Max I'm curious what you think about him but what do you think about the OC at uh, Oregon State too
0: I, I guess the problem for me with Lindgren is I just – Oregon State I, – I don't see Oregon State replicating their success and their firepower from last season just because outside of Jamar Jefferson, I mean you lose uh, Jake Luton, you, you lose Isaiah Hodgins, you lose uh, Artavis Pierce, you lose a couple key guys on the offensive line. I think that unit's going to take a big step back. Um, but I mean, I, I really like Oregon State's coaching staff. I, I just think it's going to be really hard for them to maintain uh, five, six-win uh, win expectancy with all that talent that they lost in Corvallis, just because they aren't recruiting uh, as well as the other, as some of the other Pac-12 programs. So it's hard for a program like that to be that consistent and in the middle of the pack. Uh, I mean, Harrell is, is the clear uh, top name. For me, for uh, most likely offensive coordinators, that's really. I, I mean, I, I think Moorhead. Moorhead's interesting just because. I mean, Oregon's offense isn't really like it's the. When you think of Oregon coming into the season, it's their defense that's getting all the love. Oregon's offense has a lot of interesting pieces, and I think that if Oregon can finish as like a top fifteen, top ten offense this season that Moorhead will get, will get interest from other programs for sure.
1: Now, are you talking head coaching interests or offensive coordinator interest?
0: Uh, either or, uh, I think with offensive coaching, like I, he could definitely, uh, go back to the big 10 where he had gr- uh, great success with Penn state. And I'm sure that uh, if things with like Josh Gaddis don't go well, uh, I could definitely see like Michigan making a play. um, And then I mean, SEC, I mean, he kind of, he kind of left with (laughs) Mississippi State. So I don't know about that. Um, But with head coaching jobs, yeah, I mean, I I could see like maybe a power five uh, program where the expectations aren't as high as one in in Starkville. Um, But like a low, like, um, like not Texas Tech, because I I think Matt Wells is the real deal. But but another program along those lines.
1: He strikes me as if you've played NCAA football, you know, and you have one of those bad seasons and all the offers like dip down from USC to Kansas state (laughs) or like Northwestern. I think that might be the pool where he's working from at a head coaching position, but certainly, you know, it will be interesting to see how much money, um, Oregon is willing to spend to retain him if he performs really well this first year, because uh, certainly people are going to be knocking on his door for whether it's a head coach or an offensive coordinator position. Um, And they'll probably likely be offering him more because those coordinators make such a big deal and they can just transform your offense. Um, Robbie, you've talked about before in the past, just being able to purchase a scheme.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you, (laughs) I say, I say this like, If you've got a bad offense, like, don't sit on it. Like, do not sit on a bad hand. Like, go out and get yourself a good coordinator. Like, spend the money. Um, Or put in the research and go get somebody from a lower level that's really got their, you know, their stuff together. Um, Like, I don't, I mean, play calling is a skill. You know, having a solid scheme is a skill. Um, You know, you should not sit on you know, uh, you know, or you should, you should not sit on it. And um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's guys that like, I mean, I, I will give like, I mean, Kyle Whittingham, he, he never sat on a bad coordinator, but he really struggled to hire a good OC for a long time. Um, I, and I think that I do think that for, you know, the PAC 12, it's, it's going to be, I, I think where it's going to hurt the most for the conference down the road is that, there, you know, if if somebody starts really putting it together, some of these coordinators might not even get poached for head coaching jobs. They could get poached for larger multi-year contracts, you know, with more money just at other power five schools. And that kind of that kind of thing will really undermine the conference in the long run.
0: Yeah, I feel like uh, like I would say that out of um, recent years that the uh, example for me that sticks out is Alex Grinch leaving for no. Iowa State to be a co-defensive coordinator, not even, not even <laughs> uh, solo.
1: So moving on to defensive coordinator, Rob, or I'm sorry, Max. Rob's already thrown out Andy Avalos as a name, and he was number one on my list. I'm assuming he's gone after this year, uh, and, and it's because he's done a great job uh, really molding that Oregon offense. Do you agree?
0: Yeah. I mean, Avalos, he's based – like I've I've said this before. Like he for me, he's the defensive version of Graham Harrell. Like they're the coordinators for two of the best units in the country. They're both young. They have the pedigree. Uh we've already seen great results in their first year in, in Los Angeles and, and Eugene. So yeah, I I think Avalos is definitely gonna be a hot name uh this upcoming or this next off season.
1: The other two names I had on my list were Pete Kwiatowski at uh, the defense coordinator at Washington, which you've mentioned, Rob, and then Morgan Scally at Utah. And both of those scenarios, though, like you take a look at what, at kind of what they want. And it sounds like Scally's just been offered the coach and waiting position. And like, you know, he's probably just waiting for Whittingham to step down. Um, But, that still doesn't mean that somebody can't throw a bag of money at him and say, Hey, come over here. I mean, that's kind of what happened with Mike Hopkins at Syracuse, right? He was supposed to be yeah. the, the coach and waiting at Syracuse. And, um, and my gosh, you know that. So, uh, Oh my gosh. What's the, what's the Syracuse coach, coach's name? Oh, Jim, Jim Yeah. Jim Beheim has been coaching at Syracuse since 1969. <laughs> like, oh
0: my God. Isn't that crazy? And he only has one national title.
1: Uh, well, uh, yeah, there's there's a reason for uh, for that. Uh, but <laughs> so, you know, that, so like even though Scali has likely has the coach and waiting tag on him, you know, how long is Whittingham going to be there? It seems like he's got that program rolling. He's not that old of a guy. And I don't know. What do, what do you guys think about like somebody? Let's say a Big Ten uh, team like Indiana or something needs that coach. And they offer him, you know, four million for four years. Is that something you think Scally would be willing to take, Rob?
2: I, mean, I, I think what would be interesting. I mean, like, I, I'm, I, I don't know if people look at him and he's going to be in the conversation for another Power Five job as a head coach, right? Like, I just, I, he, he, he's a guy that seems like the buzz around him is low level enough that I, I think that he is. I mean, he, he's getting considered for um, like the Fresno state job that just opened up that went to Indiana's really good offensive coordinator. Um, like I, th- I, I think he would, he would be a name that would like if Boise state were to open up, like that would be, a, but that would be a job that I think would intrigue him and he would probably interview for. Um, but I, I mean, I think that's where he's sort of at. Like, I mean, he might be at the, the, the top end of the group of five names on the list, particularly at West. Um but I don't think anybody's going like it. I would be surprised to see him. I would be surprised to see him poach to go anywhere else in the power five, if only because his, his ties are so deep out West. I don't know that he's, he has much coaching and recruiting experience anywhere else. Um, And he is sort of viewed as I I think as sort of like the head coach in waiting at at Utah. But I mean, like you said, like, I mean, I don't think Whittingham looks like he's ready to retire anytime soon. So um, I, I do, I, I think he's a name that I, I would, I think if he got an offer at a high enough level program in the Mountain West, I think he would go. What
1: do you think, Max? Scully? I don't know. I just Utah's got that defense rolling, and it'll be interesting what happens this year, right? I actually think there's going to be a drop off because they lose basically everybody, and they're, I mean, if he was able to keep them in in like a top 15 defense, my goodness, that would be an excellent excellent way to attract uh, money offers. But what do you think about it? just what he wants and what he's willing to take and who's willing to offer him?
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, if, if he can somehow pull off another top 15 defense with all that Utah loss, that would be really damn impressive. Um, I mean, yeah, Scott, I just, I, I mean, I, I haven't heard or I haven't seen his name rumored for any of the bigger jobs yet so i i agree with rob i think that it kind of like if he's looking for a power five head coaching job his best bet is utah uh at at least for now maybe one maybe an elite season this season uh, from his defense could change things but if he's fine going like i don't want to say the marcus arroyo route and going to the mountain west um, because he's he's a better – or at least I think he's a better coordinator than Arroyo was as the offensive coordinator for Oregon. Um, but I, I think that that's certainly attainable if he wants to go that route.
1: And then, Rob, you mentioned Kwiatowski being somebody that doesn't look like he wants a head coaching job. Um, I don't really know much about him outside of his track record at Washington, which has been excellent. Um, what what gives you that impression? And, you know, again, if somebody just silently approaches and says, hey i don't know what's from him saying no i mean he might be i mean he he might
2: just be a guy that just uh you know a lot of people look at and you know question whether yeah he really wants to run a program right and that he does or that he you know that he has the personality to do it but he's been so successful at washington you know with that defense that um you know i've over the and it, he he wasn't picked off like you know Jonathan Smith was i mean he's he's the one that's really you know been there and everybody really focused on Jimmy Lake cuz Lake does have that sort of larger personality that big personality that you know you think of can help sell a program um and i think i think quite like i think both from a personal like from a would his personality fit and does he want it i just don't i don't think he's he does um you know and there's i mean that that's <laughs> I mean, that's, but if you look around the Pac-12, I mean that's like about it, unless yeah. unless like Marvin, unless like Marvin Lewis crushes it, and like we get, um, we get to basically have two, um, Herm Edwards somewhere. Like we get to have, like, he, like Herm Edwards starts spawning out septuagenarian <laughs> coaches around college football.
1: <laughs> well, don't worry, we're gonna have some sweet, sweet Marvin Lewis talk. Uh, but let's do it right after this. All right, we're back going through our Pac-12 superlatives. We just did most likely to leave the Pac-12 on their own fruition. And now let's get into most likely to overachieve with their talent. And I think the last couple, uh, the last podcast we did, we were talking really on the on the big name coordinators and, and the people that come to mind right away. But I want to dip down into that area that might be a little bit underreported in terms of the Pac-12, and that's coaches and coordinators that might not have great talent, but may have an opportunity to really step up their opportunity and their game um, in regards to getting their teams to go farther than than most people thought that they would. So, Max, who is a head coach that you think will be the most likely to overachieve with the talent they? have this coming year
0: oh that's uh, um is it bad if i say arizona state
1: no (laughs) i mean i I, I, I would disagree but
0: uh, (laughs) (laughs) because uh, like for me yeah it's it's either for me it's either arizona or arizona state um or actually maybe you know what i take it back i'm gonna go utah just because with all they lost and, and i trust kyle whittingham uh, as a coach, I, I think that on offense, they, they, uh, Zach Moss is gone and, and Tyler Huntley has gone. But I like how um, – I think Jake Bentley and that quarterback room is intriguing. Uh, they still have some strong aerial weapons. And I think that since they're in the Pac-12 South, that they can definitely finish with uh, eight or so wins given the – like I, I was deciding between Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah – and I get like, for me, the talent level at like I, th- I was thinking like in terms of talent level that, like I'm, I'm, we're all low on Arizona State, and I, I just think that I think Utah's the more talented team, but I also think that they're more likely to finish with a better record.
1: Yeah, Rob. I mean, I there's the track record at Utah. There's not the track record with someone at Arizona. I think that ASU's in the mix like Max does. So I'm not I'm not discounting the fact that they could be one of the programs that pops up and overachieves with the talent they have. And they they have some decent talent on that team. Uh, but Utah just strikes me as and I'm low on Utah this year, probably lower than all the, the the of the three of us. Um with that said, like you know, it's hard to bet against Kyle Whittingham in that and look, we just talked about Morgan Scowley, and we like Andy Ludwig. And um, it's not as if Utah has been uh, – I mean, their recruiting the last couple of years has been okay. It's this last class, this year's, this past year's class that's that's awesome. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see if those pieces get put together. But if there's any coaching staff outside of probably Oregon's, Washington's on the defense, I think USC's is pretty intriguing. But, like, you, I mean, I just kind of trust Utah to be able to bring those players along.
2: Yeah, I'm interested with the Utes because I think that uh, I, I expect that the coaching staff, they they generally do a lot with what they have. Um, consistently, they have a track record worth it on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, I mean, like Francis Bernard, like he, that guy was an afterthought transfer from BYU. I mean, I remember when he transferred from BYU two years ago, and, and the question was like, is this guy going to play and should we even talk about him? <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, he ended up sitting and then playing and he, you know, he played really well. Um, I think when we, when you look at the offense, I mean, like what Ludwig was able to do last year with the QB was, um, and Zach, you know, and Zach Moss pounding the ball was great. Um, And I do think that Ludwig is able to, you know, to an extent was able last season to scheme around some of the severe personnel, deficiencies that are on that offense, you know, the offensive line and the pass catchers. Um, It's going to be a lot harder this season. I mean, like I I generally look at like, um, you know, four coaches on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, I I do think that you have to have a a quarterback that you really trust, um, you know, for them to over, for them and their offense to maybe overachieve a little bit um and you know zach moss was like uh, you know a tackle breaking machine i mean i i I like ludwig i don't think he's like i think people we end up with these dumb conversations about andy ludwig because when you say he's a good offensive coordinator people think you're saying he's a great offensive coordinator and he's not a great offensive coordinator but he's good i think he'll make utah maybe better than they have any reason to be but i mean it it could be interesting i think without um i think people underrate have Good Huntley was last season and how how much Zach Moss mattered in really breaking tackles really near the line of scrimmage. Um, but I'm going to throw out like I, I still think this because I think Jonathan Smith's going to overachieve at Oregon State. I think they're going to stink, but I think they're going to stink less than their talent. <laughs> with the, like, I mean, because I, I think they're going to have to build. I think he turned Jake Luton into a very serviceable college quarterback uh, who made a lot of really good... I mean, we used to talk about Jake Luton as, like, you know, like, the year before, Jake Luton was, like... Like, like just drunk. throw it, He was like the Brett... Yeah, he was like <laughs> the Brett Favre of a Pac-12 football. And then last season, like, he made smart decisions. Like, he matured. <laughs> and I think that... I think Smith's gonna... I mean, I, I really do think Smith is that good of a coach, um, you know, with what he's got going schematically. And I think the defense is gonna take another little bit of a step forward for Oregon State. So I, I think Oregon State... I don't know that it shows up in the win total, but from an advanced stats perspective, like I expect Oregon State will probably beat their projections. Um, I expect Utah will likely also beat their projections, but it, I think it's going to. I'm I, I have less assurance there than I think I do on some of the other teams because their line was so so bad last season. Um, and I don't know. I mean, someone like if Grant Gunnell really gets it rolling, he's gonna he he can make what is a you know, and we've talked about this, you know, I, I think he and someone inherited a very bad roster and I don't know that he, I don't know that he's done enough recruiting wise to fix that. Um, but if a, a really good quarterback can make up for some of that, <laughs> so I mean, I, and I haven't, I do think like anything's an improvement over Marcel Yates. So like we should see more out of the talent on the defensive side of the ball. um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's, I guess what I think about it, but like, if you think of like overachieved with the talent, like I think you also have to throw Joe Moorhead in there because that Oregon offense really wasn't that great last season. Um, They have talented players, but they don't have a lot of experienced players and they only return one offensive lineman. Now granted that, that guy's probably the best player in all of college football. Um, But I think Moorhead's definitely like, I I think I'm excited. I think he's a good enough coach. He's going to overachieve, there, but I also think that like I I don't want to like it's a substantial challenge he's got in front of him.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And given the situation there, and like I went back and, and looked, listened to our podcast with Hiltleday about Oregon, and you know I'm I'm optimistic about Oregon, but I think one of the things that we should have pressed more was look they got they got a they got a new quarterback coming in and a new offensive line coming in, and yes, Moorhead is is likely going to be a really really good hire for them. But we still don't know a ton about the offensive, like offensive side max, and whether or not that can all, all. Like I think, at least I, when when we were doing that show, had kind of baked in the fact that that offense was going to get figured out. It might not. I mean, I I still think it will, but I think that we're putting the odds of it happening maybe a little higher than we should. What do you think?
0: Well, I, I think that Oregon's offense, given. That they have more head coming in, and, and I mean Sewell is still he's the best offensive lineman in the country. Uh, they have Verdell, and they have some really good wideouts, and and I mean quarterback. Obviously, it's 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 a question mark, and it's the most important position. But I think Oregon's offense has a nice floor, but I think also with Morehead that they have potential to also have that ceiling. Not and and not as high of a ceiling as the defense. But I think that that's a unit that can really improve as the season goes on. There could be struggles early in the season, though, which could be troublesome since they're facing North Dakota State and Ohio State to start the season, presumably. Um, But I I think that that's an offense that can really get clicking down the stretch uh, once the familiarity uh, factor plays in.
1: I want to talk ASU real fast with Herm, because we did bring that up, and I think the season win total was, was it eight or nine max? What, what was the win total for them? Do you remember? No, way.
0: it was, it was, well, it was, it was eight, but like I think it was like minus minus one hundred and fifty juice on the under and seven and a half.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's like, that was the reason I didn't have Herm in the, you know, the top two names like on that front. It, it's just because I think the expectations for ASU are about right. Like they're, They've done a fairly good job recruiting there So it's not like the talent stinks at ASU They had a better offense than they did In previous years, Rob So I just think that Herm's going to do What he needs to do with that program But I don't expect him to do more Am I underselling them, Rob?
2: No, I mean I I think I still think ASU is a, is a program that's a year away um, You know, from really competing um, For the Pac-12 South Championship And I, I think that Um, I think that, I mean, that offense was awful last season and uh, a lot of their problems are still along the offensive line. Um, you know, yeah, some of those guys were young, they get some guys back, they have some transfers in, but I mean, those are, there's, and I still have questions. I mean, Daniel's accuracy, you know, ain't great. And that's, those are things that I think you have to sort of take into account. I like the defense. I mean, I really do think the defense is going to play well. And I think, um, you know, Marvin Lewis has a lot to work with on that side of the ball. Um. But it's also, I mean, it's fair to say, like, I mean, Zach Hill is walking into a situation that if you took what people's expectations are around that ASU offense and Daniels, I think it might actually be unfair to Zach Hill because he inherits you know, a, he, he, you know, he's losing a first round draft pick. He's losing, Eno you know, Benjamin, he has a sieve of an offensive line, um, you know, from last season and he, he has the same offensive line coach. I mean, they kept him on there. Um, you know his wide receiver coaches in his 20s and is far better known as a recruiter than as you know coaching players like mean, i'm interested to see how this works um and i, I think it might be more uphill for zach kill than i think people are giving him credit for and like you know if zach kill ends up if they end up beating their projection i mean that's solid work for zach kill because i think i, I and mean, people might not take it that way people might be very disappointed if they just end up sort of like in the you know 50s or 60s offensively but that's a significant step forward from where they were last year.
1: Two of the other names I had uh, on the offensive coordinator side, Max, were Bill Musgrave and Noel Mazzoni. Would you put one over the other?
0: I'd probably I'd – go, I'd go Mazzoni just because I think with Khalil Tate that it was a basically a, a round peg in, in a square hole kind of situation. I think Ganell – uh, is better suited for Mazzoni and, and Sumlin. And I, I just think with Cal, there already is an expectation that they're, they're going to, uh, especially um, whenever Garbers was healthy, that they were a, a solid uh, unit. And so I think that coming in that uh, their expectations on offense are actually decently high, whereas Arizona, I feel, if, if Ganell's the real deal, And from what I watched of him, I liked what I saw, that that offense could actually be a sleeping giant and and really uh, flying under the radar.
1: Do any defensive coordinators pop out for you, Max, uh, that you think could overachieve?
0: Um, Well, I mean, I have to go Peter Sermon here, right? (laughs) 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 Yeah. Defensive corners that can overachieve. I think I think USC's defense is going to take a step forward. So I, I I could I I could go with Todd Orlando, um, Jake Dickert. I think is another yeah. interesting name. Uh, and honestly, I I would even I I think Marvin Lewis could surprise. Like I'm actually I'm I, I'm more bullish on Arizona State's defense than I am their offense. I think with Lewis. That I mean, Arizona State's problem is that they they couldn't really get any pressure on the quarterback last year, and that led to their secondary getting ripped apart at at times, like with the Washington State game. That was the clear uh, uh, example from last season. But I think with Lewis and and that NFL pedigree and the fact that he he liked to bring pressure when he was uh, head coach with the Bengals, and that was kind of his – I don't want to say mantra, but I guess his reputation – I think that Arizona State's defense can actually take a step forward uh, next season. So and yeah, those would probably be the three that I would have.
1: Yeah, Rob, I had put Lewis in the same now wrongly, right? This is the knee-jerk reaction, Uh, kind of the same pool as Monty Kiffin with USC. After a while, like you know, he's in the NFL, he's adjusting to the uh, offensive game in college, but I, I just. In retrospect, very quickly I thought, "Ah, uh, that's the A, that's way, way too dramatic. And then Max had made the argument last week about Lewis really being a wild card and being somebody that that should be on our radar as uh somebody that could do more with and not even less, but more with the talent that he has. Do you agree or are you a little bit more pessimistic about him?
2: I mean, that's an interesting comparison that you made though, because like Monty Kiffin's Tampa Two defense was sort of like in its heyday when Marvin Lewis was last calling plays. So, I mean, it's, Marvin Lewis is a total wild card for me. Like, I think some people are looking at it and, and saying, oh, you know, like it's, you know, the NFL pedigree, blah, blah, blah. But it's been a long time since the guys called the place. Um, and I, I, I think that's going to be an interesting adjustment back into doing that uh, for him. I think coaching, you know, kids, at the, you know, at the college level. You know, I mean, as a day-to-day coach, not just an analyst, is going to be an adjustment. Um, that said, I I like what ASU has coming back. I I think if they can generate any kind of pass rush, um, they have some talent. They projected 25 in beta rank uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Like they've they've got some solid you know some solid players coming back, and Lewis has a lot to work, work with there. So if he's I mean he I, I think i think the tough thing with lewis is actually that my expectations for that asu defense based on the players they have coming back and their expected sort of improvement and maturation um is actually somewhat high uh and so that you know I, I i'll be interested to see where they sort of fall like if he can beat that projection and get them in like a top 20 defense like that would be that would be great for 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 marvin lewis um, but the other names, like, I mean, the names you have to throw out there is like overachiever, like Dicker, like you said, at, at Washington State. I think you have to throw Paul Rhodes out there, too, simply because I think it, in some ways the bar was set so low by their predecessors for just basic competence. Um that they have a chance to come in and just by being merely like bad by power five standards, they, they would make a huge improvement on their, you know, on their, on their team. So um, like, I mean, we, you saw this, we saw this last year with Washington state's defense, which was just abysmal um, you know, the, the coaching on Arizona's defense for the past two years was at- atrocious. Um, so there's, I mean, if you, if you could like, you know, Manage to put your own socks on in the morning. You should be able to do better than what we've seen. Uh, I think Tibisar at Oregon State's another guy that I, I think people should keep an eye on. They took a real big jump um, last year into the 70s in beta rank. I think they could maybe jump up into the 40s um, this season, and that would be big for them.
1: That would be crazy. If they made it to the 40s, I mean, that that's probably a bowl season for Oregon State, so— um, yeah, I mean, something to keep an eye on. The one thing to mention with Arizona is that it wasn't just the Paul Rhodes hire. basically, uh, uh, aside from the special teams coach, uh, Kevin Sumlin cleaned house. And a lot of the play- a lot of the coaches they brought in are, like, 20-year veterans right guys that aren't probably going to grind on the recruiting trail but like the fundamental x's and o's respected coaches they're going to come in and like i mean the idea would be these guys are the exact opposite of the previous staff What he had which was a bunch of guys that could that would were trying to go out and recruit but didn't necessarily have uh the the um the experience under their belt so anyway it'll be interesting to see if that works out or not but that would be the bullish case for them is like you have all these really solid respected coaches with average talent (laughs) and let's see what they could do with it um anything else uh, rob on uh, the defensive coordinators here
2: no, I mean, I mean, if we like, are we, did we already do underachieve? No, no, Is no.
1: That what's next? That's what's
2: next. Oh, cool. <laughs> that uh, No, I will hold, hold my fire. I mean, cause I don't think, I don't think that there's, I mean, the tough thing, if you look around it, I mean, I mean, Oregon's defense projects at number two in beta rank next season, Washington's defense projects at number four in beta rank next season. There's, there are actually going to be some excellent defenses, uh, in the Pac-12 but there's no way their expectations could be almost any higher uh you know for the guys that are you know are really good and approved it
1: yeah well let's start with the head coaches and I should mention this this should be the shortest section that we have because We've dumped on these coaches in the last couple of podcasts already. Um, So a lot of the names that we're going to bring up, um, I mean, we've we've made pithy jokes and et cetera, et cetera. So um, and we can still talk about them, but I'll probably try to direct the conversation to the coaches that we haven't spent as much time on um, when it comes to underachieving. But uh, Max, uh, you know, in terms of head coaches, who are the three that you have or I'm sorry, give, give me two names that you have as being the most likely to underachieve given their talent?
0: Uh, well, I feel like the, the clear big three, at least for me, would be uh, Clay Helton, David Shaw, and Jimmy Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'll go, I'll go with Lake for this, um, just because one Stanford's expectations are are low this season, at, at least with their their win total being five and a half, and I haven't seen them in any top twenty five uh, rankings in any publications, so. And I, I, I just I can't see Stanford with the with the amount of talent that they have, having like another four and eight, five and seven seasons. So Washington, though, and and, and with and actually I should go for with USC and Helton, the Pac-12 South is so bad. And then again, but then again, like I could totally see Clay Helton and USC going nine and three somehow, some way, even though they're, they're head and shoulders above the rest of the conference. But I'll go with Washington just because I am so down on their offense. And I don't think that they're going to be able to put away a lot of teams because they're going to have trouble scoring. And I, I, I think that their, their defense is so good. And, and they do have – I mean, their recruiting uh, in terms of Pac-12 standards is excellent. But I just think that their offense with Donovan at the helm as offensive coordinator and all that they have to replace – I just I I think that that unit's gonna really struggle, and like I said, I I just think that Wash it's gonna be a lot of close games and coin flips, and that could really burn this Huskies team with a first-year coaching staff.
1: Yeah, Rob, we've talked about Clay Helton at nauseam. Um, We've talked about David Shaw, and the expectations for him are really low this year. So um, I I would still say that if he won seven games, it would be underachieving with the talent that he has. But um, I I also agree with Max in terms of, like, I would kind of put him to the side because the season win total is so low for them. So let's talk about Jimmy Lake and, um, man— like, I guess we've talked about Lake a little bit too, you know, his eight wins. Okay. For the Washington team, you know, we've, the fan base seems to be pretty fired up, but he's also bought some goodwill. Um, John Donovan, not Josh Donovan. I apologize. I've been talking about Josh Donovan for the last like six months. Um, I, I'm hoping that he just gets fired. So I don't have to remember his name anymore, but John Donovan certainly is is going to be the X factor there.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and and Lake really went out and, you know, he made this hire and, you know, it was, he's, he's going to be defined by it. I think for, for with Washington fans, um, you know, cause it was it, it, the, the, the dissatisfaction with where the offense had been, um, you know, since Smith left uh, was palpable. Um, and I think Washington fans put a lot on this hire and Washington fans are tend to be fired up and involved. Um, so I, I think that for him, he's, he's got, in some ways expectations are low for that offense right but there's they <laughs> they've got a lot of talent i mean they do they've got a lot of talent i mean they're like nobody you know nobody in the conference outside of usc can you know crack that top five of you know a recruiting ranking uh, in all likelihood maybe oregon this year but um you know i think that uh you know that said washington's gonna line up with mostly four stars you know on the offensive side of the ball um, and they they should they should be a lot better than they may end up being i, I that's why i sort of hesitate with like Jimmy Lake overachieving cuz um you know he's i mean maybe it is that our maybe our expectations are too low for Donovan but Donovan was so so bad at at Vanderbilt and Penn State um i'm just i am still surprised i'm still surprised that that was the <laughs> um i think that I think that like overachieve this year or underachieve, uh, yeah. I mean, I could see like doing it. I don't know. I mean, I th- I think that like underachievers, you know, around the conference, like for for what the expectations are, like I I think um, Herm Edwards has a great chance to underachieve this year because I think his expectations are so high. Um, And if they got, I mean, ASU is, it doesn't project to be great. If they get unlucky, they could, they could be not bowl eligible. Like if they have, if they had, you know, or minus two on turnovers in two games that that they were supposed to win, they, they could easily miss a bowl this season. Um, I think the line is a little finer for them than people think. Um, I think Justin Wilcox is likely going to underachieve people's (laughs) expectations for this season, um, but if, I mean, for most everyone else, like the expectations seem right about in the line. I don't know. I mean, I could, I could see Stanford, you know, like Shaw, I don't know. He's, he's a tough one to, he's a tough one to rate on this because I, it would be hard for him to underachieve considering like if you use last year as your benchmark, but you're right. Like if you look at the talent, like they've been on a roll of underachieving.
1: Yeah. And if you're, if you're a Washington fan and I know a number of them listened to, to the podcast I think our expectations for what Washington is and can be are quite high, which is why sometimes we keep throwing Washington under the bus because of the offensive side of the ball. Um, But the defense there is so good that the floor is going to be really high for that team. So I think you're kind of looking in a 7 to 10, 7 to 9, 7 to 8 type of range rather than a 5, you know, 5 to 8 win range for Washington. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see where they're at. The the one name I wanted to throw out was – um, was Nick Rolovich. I think everybody is just baking in the fact that he's going to have that offense humming and that defense sucked last year and they are breaking in a new quarterback with a new system with fewer practices. I think there's a chance where where Washington state really craters this first year and then builds up from there. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that thesis? Max?
0: No, I actually, that's a, that's a sneaky pick, but I guess I, the Washington State's talent, though, I mean, it's, it's not pretty, like, I, I think if you if you base it uh, uh, in terms of uh, how they'll perform against their win total, like, I like that a lot more than their talent level, because I, I'm not really buying the talent level that they have to begin with.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And I thought the season win total was fairly high. It was like at six and a half or something like that. It, it was... Yep.
0: I think it was seven.
1: (laughs) All right. Uh, I mean, the problem, it's a bummer because we did all these podcasts and it's possible that we're only doing a conference season. And that would really suck and take away a lot of the value because seven, seven is, I think, crazy time for Washington State. Um, Do you agree, Rob?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's fair because he's going to I think people do have sort of the same high expectations. But if that's the case, I mean the last two years were the years that Mike Leach really turned it on and found his fastball again on the offense. Um, you know, the, and uh, the, at the meantime that, you know, the defense just cratered um, the special teams were actually really good last season. I mean, th- th- it's that kind of stuff that makes me wonder, like, can you have a top five special teams unit and t- top 20 offense? Um, I think Dickert makes a, an improvement on the defensive side of the ball, but I, I think they could fall back. If they fall back into the forties offensively they're, you know, they could be in trouble.
1: Let's go to the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators on the offensive coordinator side. It's kind of the same old, same old names that we've been throwing around right Tavita Pritchard, Chip Kelly, Darren Chivarini, and John Donovan.
0: Is there, how, any... can, how can Darren Chivarini underachieve? <laughs>
1: yeah, <I know. laughs> uh, I don't know. Like it's just it, it, the whole conversation. Versus the talent here. level.
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, the Buffs don't have nobodies. I mean, they they are a power five program. I mean, I expect Chief Chievoiri to do very little with what he's got.
0: They have they have well. I should. I mean, they have um. They have like Fontenot and Mangum at, at running back.
1: They were uh, their, offensive, their,
0: their offensive line wasn't terrible, uh, and they have Katie Nixon, and that's about it.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, but, like, I think the wide receivers there, uh, it, it, I have higher expectations for the wide receivers. They, they get Levante Chenault uh, that comes in, four-star kid. Um, They have a couple other guys that were injured that I think have some promise. I, I don't know. Like, I don't think that they have the worst wide receiver core in the conference, but I'm kind of double-thinking that comment right now. I have to go back and look. It might be at the lower end, but it's not – I mean, they're not all bums on that front. I just could see a scenario where that offense, um, if it's not unchecked, ends up like it did once the whole conference figured out what he was doing uh, a couple of years ago. But but I hear you. Like, the, the bar is low there. I don't know. Uh, like, w- well, here, let me, let me throw this at you, Max. Like, where do you think um, Colorado will finish of um, the, the advanced metrics, let's say, whether it's beta rank or S P Plus this next year?
0: On offense?
1: On offense.
0: What, Rob, I'm just kidding. where, where did they finish last year?
1: Oh, Colorado? Like yeah. in
2: the
0: 90s? On offense? Yeah. They tanked last season. Wow. On okay. So they're in the, I, yeah, I think they're going to make, I think triple digits. Oh,
1: jeez. I mean, that's what, and, and, and that's consistent with what you've been saying with their season win total, that they're just going to be awful this year. Um, I don't know, Rob, like, I guess, I guess it becomes more of a a conversation about expectations for Colorado. Do you expect them to have a triple digit offense this year?
2: I mean, I think they could finish. I mean, I think they could finish in that range again. I mean, I, I don't know who's going to play quarterback and I don't know that they have a lot of great options there. That's problematic in the year of our Lord 2020. (laughs) So, um, yeah, and I, I don't think Giverini covered himself with glory the last time around. I I think they could be in some trouble um, offensively. I, I I wouldn't expect them to improve much on where they finished out last season uh, on offense at all.
1: What are some other names that you want to throw out here, Rob?
2: Uh, I mean, I think that there's, I think that there's a shot for. I mean, if we look at if we look across the conference, or there's even a there's a there's a shot. I mean, we we talked about Josh Donovan. I think given the talent level that he's going to have there, John
1: Donovan. John, you got
2: me into it. This <laughs> do, is your <laughs> fault. No, I'm sorry. So Colorado finished at 67 on offense last season. I was wrong. They okay. were 82 overall. Um, I mean, I I
0: could I expected them to finish in the 80s on offense.
1: All right, you want yeah, to revise that?
0: Yeah, I, I was originally going to say. 75 range and i think that might even be optimistic i mean they finished 67 last season with a stephen
2: montez and a couple i mean oh ouch um i mean i think donovan's a name that you have to look at because i do think when you look at uh who washington has talent wise i mean they've they've got a bunch of you know four-star quarterbacks they've got you know, some, uh, you know, and there's the expectation that guys, you know, some of the younger guys like Nakua are going to play. I really like their running back room for the most part. I have huge questions about their offensive line still. <laughs> um, but I do th- I mean, I just, I think that the, uh, I think that they are going to, I think Donovan's going to have his hands full and I never liked what he could do. I, I mean, I wasn't all that impressed with what he, he's done in the past. Um, I think, you know, Like, uh, you know, whoever Rolovich has offensive coordinator wise, I think versus the expectations and I think versus where their projections going to be, because they were so good last year and the year before. Um, I think Washington State's a team that could likely underperform uh, expectations wise on offense. I think Cal is a team that could be dangerous if they to underperform because i don't i don't think people have a, like i think people are sort of looking at it like oh yeah bill musgrave he'll be good and they're also bringing back like a mountain of, of production i think advanced stats models are a little more realistic about where cal might likely finish out on offense maybe in like the 40 range um you know if a good year might get them into the 30 range offensively i think uh folks that are but i think the expectations from like a lot of you know non-stat based analysts or the Cal's offense is going to like be a top 20 offense. And I don't think that's in the cards, um, for them. So I mean, Musgrave could disappoint, I guess you could say, if, if you're looking at like what the expectations will be around there. Um, but everybody else, I think, I mean, maybe you could say Zach Hill at uh, ASU because I, I do think people are higher on Daniels than maybe they should be. Although, if he, the thing with Daniels, and I say this, like I, I, I sort of criticize him as a passer, if they find a way to get hit, use his feet more, that will make a big difference. Um, so if Hill is able to unleash Daniels' feet and be able to get him uh, as more of a threat in the running game, like I think that Daniels could have a big year.
1: I think it also depends on if Daniels can put on more weight in the soft seat because he was like 175 pounds or something. Like I mean, that's that's part part of the reason. I'm sure they didn't have him running around as much as, although he did a little bit. But I, I liked how he was mobile, but not like a sprinter in the in the pocket. And they were able to keep yeah. him healthy all year, which is which is really impressive. Because I saw those numbers, and I'm like, oh my god, somebody's gonna kill him. Um, and, yeah. and he ended up being one of the more like electric freshmen in the country, which is pretty cool. Uh, let's move. Let's move the defensive coordinator. Um, I mean, I, again, same names: Lance Anderson at Stanford, Jerry Azanaro obviously at UCLA, Peter Sermon at Cal. I put Todd Orlando in there as a, a, as a wild card because it's possible that. You know, just things don't click that the way they should, and it's his first year there. And I think there are high expectations because people um, are just expecting more after what Cl- Clancy Pendergast left. So I don't know. Th- does that make sense, Max, or is that being really pessimistic? Uh, pessimistic about it? No, him? I,
0: I think it's fair. I mean, I, Orlando's a wild card, so you can go either way. I just think with Pendergast, that USC's defense, like I, I don't want. It wasn't Marcel Yates' rock bottom. But, man, with the amount of talent that USC had on that side of the ball, they should not have been as inconsistent as they were last season. Um, But Orlando, uh, just based on the improvement from Pendergast to Orlando and the fact that uh, Orlando, the first year um, in new positions or in in new jobs as defensive coordinator, that's typically been uh, his his best seasons for success. Mm -hmm. But... We'll see, because, I mean, USC, they, they only got one spring practice under their belt, and this would have been a great time uh, to, you know, implement Orlando's scheme. So, we'll see.
1: Rob, any other names that you think we should discuss?
0: I mean, Sermon's going to underachieve versus what people's
2: expectations are, because he's Sermon. <laughs> um I mean I, th- I mean I think there's a shot that scaly and, you know uh, the, the Utah takes enough of a step back that people maybe bark a little um, given how much they're losing. Um, I, I mean, I do expect them to maybe have it figured out by the end of the season, but um, yeah, it, it could be tougher than people think, I think for them.
1: Well, let's end that here. I wanted to talk uh, we had a number of questions come in from our last podcast. Uh, one of them was full of Nopes, who was, uh, wanted to ask a question about USC. Basically, uh, he wanted to talk about Todd Orlando's scheme and how it would fit in with the new team. Now, it's kind of hard right now. Normally, we would have had spring ball, and and I really trust Alicia Daratola over at Reina Troy, and, and I read their stuff. and I, mean, I think there's just a lot of really good USC sources, but those <laughs> clearly there's been no spring practice, so I do think that it gives us a little bit of leeway to talk about how that scheme we think will fit. Um, because Rob, like you can speculate fairly well, you've, you've, you've been watching Orlando and what he's been able to do. Um, how would you address that question? And what do you think about how he's going to just fit in with the just wealth of talent that's on the USC defense right now?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the, you have to sort of start with many of the same complaints and, you know, that people had about him at at Texas. And that was that the, um, he was running a three, four and he didn't really have the personnel to be running a three, four, uh, at Texas. And I think that really, uh, you know, a lot of people felt like that set Texas back. Um, and I mean, the main thing in in the switch is I don't know that there's anybody on USC's defensive line that can really play 2 gap, um, and, and eat up blockers. And I, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, it, it, when people get caught up in talking about the 3-4 versus the 4-3 that they they get a little too caught up in talking about like uh, that this, like it's going to be the main defense and like, the you know, is this the better fit for the total personnel? I mean, the better fit for the total personnel is often just a question of like whether you have three down linemen or four and then you're almost always going to be in nickel or dime. Um, these days versus spread offenses. You'll, you'll, you've been Washington, for example, played 80% of their snaps in dime last season. So um, you're the chance, the times that you are going to have all seven box defenders on the field are lower than you think. Um, and so is it, you know, are you comfortable having two linebackers on the field? Do you want three linebackers on the field? Where do you generate your pass rush out of? Um, but those three down linemen, usually you have to have a guy that can play two gap. And uh, I don't know that USC does. Uh, on that team, that's that's my big question uh, about it and the fit for uh Orlando um there. Like, and I I think I said in like a, the video where we talked about it was that I hope he's flexible enough that it's not working that he switches back over to a four down line.
1: Hey Rob, can you define two gap for all the people, myself included? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh you know, it's like this is one of the main quest. Like, if you're if you're like when it, when you're a deciding who you are as a defense, like you're, you're a one gap team or a two gap team. Um, and a one gap team is like your defensive linemen or your linebackers. They have, they have one gap responsibility. Um, and so like they' you are not asked to cover. Um, so like, if you're, you know, if you're lined up on, um, you know, on, on the guard, you're not, you're not asked to cover both a and B gaps. Um, you have one responsibility to plug in the, against the run game um two gap like you have to you you need at least one guy that can sort of hold in the middle not commit to a not not commit to either gap um and and make a play and that's hard to do um you know and it's hard to find those guys that can really play two gap effectively so uh i would yeah there's that, that I'm not sure that they, I'm not sure that USC's defense has that uh, there. Those guys, like I said, are, are kind of hard to find They're They're, they're often like sort of sneakily important in the NFL. Seattle's defense w- has been built around. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy, but I mean, they built their defense around, they found one guy that could play two gap and it freed them up to be a lot more aggressive um, on, you know, on the other parts of their defense. I think that, that part I think is going to be tougher. And, and Orlando, like I said, like Orlando should be flexible there. If he, if he finds that he doesn't have somebody that can do it.
1: Yeah. Max, I I forget which player it was. Maybe it was Christian Rector. Um, It was two years ago. Um, you, You lost basically two linebackers that were awesome and just changed the way that you were able to do defense. And it seemed like this last year, the talent just wasn't there or maybe it's the last two years. I mean, you can tell me, you know, better than I do, but the last either last year, or last couple of years, the the linebacker play has been lacking uh, in spite of the star power there and i'm curious like what do you think a do you think that's an accurate statement and b what do you think about the linebackers this year and whether or not they're going to be able to put it together because it seems like your secondary is in good shape um and i know people love hafunga uh, uh, back there but it's more people like isaiah polamau and some other some other guys that, you know that are backing up that defensive line that seem to be the problem
0: yeah, um, I would say that USC's strengths this year um, on defense would be uh, the uh, defensive end slash Ed, R- Ed Rusher, I mean, Drake Jackson. He, I mean, every Kayvon Thibodeau, uh won uh, Pac-12 freshman of the year last season, but Jackson could have won that uh, for sure. I mean, he 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 made so many big plays. And then the secondary, uh, young group, but also extremely talented, um, uh, but uh, the line, the linebackers, like yeah, no, there's definitely um, they, they 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 don't have like I just feel like the linebackers were lacking uh, last season, and I mean especially like USC's big weakness was on I mean misdirection runs, they were an absolute disaster, and so. Just have, having that defensive awareness, I, 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 I hope, is something that Orlando can help with because man, USC just seemed to always get tricked on, a, on every single misdirection play uh, with under Pendergast. But um, I mean, I, I'm just optimistic just because, like how I was saying before, I just think that Pendergast's time uh, had run sour, and I, I, I felt it was it was. Not as bad as like the Monty Kiffin year where like they gave up sixty something to Oregon at the LA Coliseum, but it was definitely getting close to that.
1: And by the way, full and stick with us. We'll keep I mean we're gonna cover all of these teams at length as as practices open up and stuff. So like we'll we'll stay on this, but wanted to get an answer to your question early. All right, well let's wrap it up. We're going about an hour and fifteen minutes and uh, we'll definitely record next week. I have a question that I sent out to our Twitter audience, particularly our Utah fans, about Utah's defensive line. So we'll address that next week because I think it's fascinating what they have to replace and who they have to replace it. And obviously, there's like we've been talking about, if there's a coaching staff we think will overachieve with the talent, it, it likely is the defensive side of the ball for Utah. <laughs> so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, guys, thank you for coming on. And uh, anything else? anything else we should cover here? No, I think we're good. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to check one more time. Um, all right. Uh, bear with us uh, next week as we continue to move forward. Not certain what the topic's going to be, but we're going to go through a number of things. We also have some guests we want to bring on throughout the off season. And uh, stay safe out there, everybody. Thanks for listening.